Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, an online marketing educator, leader of an incredible global community of female entrepreneurs and a content creator based in Melbourne, Australia. This show is designed to bring you practical strategies and candid real stories of entrepreneurs to help you make marketing, mindset and money your superpowers. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm starting with a bit of a celebration today and a massive thank you to you for being a listener. I was on my social media just recently and was tagged in an Instagram story and I went and had a bit of a look and saw that the Instagram story was about the top marketing podcasts of all time in Australia and the Emily Osmond show is in the list. It's number nine of the all-time marketing podcasts in Australia and I looked at the list and I see names from people that I used to listen to when I was starting out in my business and it's kind of crazy to now see my podcast up there next to them. I still feel like I'm figuring out my podcast and finding my groove which just goes to show that you can have some pretty cool wins without having it all figured out yet without having everything all perfect or a super specific plan. But we do need to take action. Just do it, get outside our comfort zone and keep moving forward and keep going as well. I've been running this podcast for two years now. We've had more than 150 episodes. We've had the most incredible, generous, smart guests who've said yes to me asking all my nosy questions. And it's been a lot of hours, a lot of effort from myself and also my team that I pay, Bambi Media, to pull this podcast together, my production team. So it doesn't just happen, but it can happen if we are willing to put in the effort and to keep going even when it's in those early days and we might not have a whole lot to to show for it. So thank you so much for being a listener and for supporting the show and telling your friends, your business friends about it as well. Alrighty, let's get into today's episode. Today I'm speaking with Tina Tower. She's an award-winning serial entrepreneur and she has founded, grown and sold several businesses and franchises. She has helped hundreds of people package their expertise into an online course and launch it into the world. And through her program, Her Empire Builder, Tina Tower is on a mission to help 100 women to build a million dollar a year business by 2025. I wanted to have Tina on the podcast because she's just published her second book and it's called Million Dollar Micro Business, How to Turn Your Expertise into a Digital Online Course. I just finished reading her book. I was really lucky Tina sent me one uh, before it's officially released to the general public and um, I folded down all these corners. I have elements that I've, I have areas that I've underlined and I wanted to ask Tina what it really takes to create an incredible million dollar micro business. What actually is that? What are some challenges that she has faced and continues to grapple with today too? I read Tina's first book, One Life, How to Have the Life of Your Dreams. And it's such an inspiration and a call to action. So I really recommend getting your hand on both of those books. But for now, we have one better and we have Tina Tower herself on the show. 
Well, Tina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Emily. It's great to be back with you again. I know, right? Return. Now, I think we've recorded your podcast episode on my podcast when we when you were in Melbourne. Was that when we did it on the couch at yeah, the hotel? You were staying. I don't whether that was my podcast or your podcast. I know. I'm the same. <laughs> we did a podcast episode sitting on a couch in your hotel room right before you were had to go to the airport. Yeah, that was it. And I was so excited because we've been like Instagram friends. <laughs> And now you're in a sunny, beautiful place and I'm here in Melbourne and I was just saying I'm so rugged up this morning. It's freezing. So um, I'm in Noosa and it's gorgeous. We're we're about to start a retreat in a couple of days and you you go in those places and it just transforms you straight away. Like there's lush rainforest everywhere and the beach, so much linen so much linen oh my god I love linen flowing mm. and the dresses are like very then <laughs> <laughs> look out hey you'll come back a whole new person <laughs> well Tina big congratulations you've just published your second book I've got it in my hands here million dollar micro business how to turn your expertise into a digital online course and I just said to you I just finished it this morning I wanted to make sure I'd read it before our chat. So congratulations. Thank you. I think you're actually like the first person that's finished <gasps> reading it because only, oh my God. I think we've sent out 40 people have the book and you read that really fast. <laughs> yeah. I'm a quick reader Coden, and I get so frustrated because my partner Coden, like we'll just be looking at something together and I'll be like, okay, yeah, I've read that. And he's like one word in. I'm like, oh God, come on, come on. <laughs> oh, it's great. But, oh, and I was saying to you, it's just such a practical book, which really lays it all out in terms of creating an online course business. And I loved also the interviews that you had in there. So I think we'll touch on some of them today and some of the things like I underlined because they were such good points. But I want to start off with asking, could you describe what a micro business is? Because it's something I'm like obsessed with micro businesses. They're just my favorite. But what's the definition in your eyes? A business that turns out, well, it does a million dollar micro business is a business that turns over more than a million dollars a year with less than five staff. Traditionally, micro business has been defined by both team members, but also revenue. And I'm like, we don't need that cap anymore. Because it used to be even 10 years ago, the higher your revenue went, the higher your team went. Whereas now that's not necessarily linked proportionally. So new definition. Awesome. Awesome. And I love the fact that like there is so much power to be had in creating that really efficient, small business and team but it doesn't mean that you're limited in terms of the reach you can have, the impact you can have, the fun and freedom you can have as well. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know that, like, you know how much we can do with such a small but mighty team. Exactly. <laughs> and that was exactly that's probably the biggest thing that I had to unlearn going into mm. online business was my business before I had so many staff and I had this real block when I was building and going, I don't want to go any bigger because I don't want to get back in the situation where my whole job is just people management and worrying Mm. about team and all of that sort of thing. And it took a long time to let that go and go, actually, we can have a really high impact business and not have a gazillion staff to have to worry about. Absolutely. And I'm actually seeing that kind of shift happening with other people too. One of my students, she's a hairstylist. And so she used to run a salon with a lot of a lot of other hairdressers worked for her in there. It was a bigger space. And now she's intentionally 
created a smaller business for higher profit and it's just herself and she might have one or two other hairdressers that work in that business, but she has way more flexibility, way more freedom, less stress. And I just think oh, it just makes so much sense. Mm. So with you, Tina, I'd love to go into, you mentioned kind of having to unlearn some things or shifting your way of thinking and, and kind of, it's just a whole other way, whole new way of operating in business. What have been some of those big learnings for you and maybe surprises that you've had over the past couple of years have you've really stepped into this this new way of doing business what have the kind of like challenges been that have come up I ran service-based business like traditional service-based business for 14 years before I started online yes. business and I, I was pretty good at it <laughs> it was a big change to like the whole, I mean, online business is still business, but it's a very different way of doing business. As soon as I started, like I remember doing my first course launch, like a proper launch, I'd been kind of dabbling in it and growing by word of mouth for about nine mm -hmm. months beforehand. But when I did like my first, I'm going to do like a launch, like doors open, excitement, doors closed kind of launch. And we made $11,000, which I know is not that much, but it was a revelation to me. I was yes. like, this is incredible that I did a bit of social media. I sent some emails. Mm -hmm. I talked to a couple of people. And now I literally have to deliver nothing. So it was that, that second I went, this is going to be a million dollar business because that's totally scalable and, mm -hmm. and leverage everything that we've done to this point going forward. But it also, I think the thing that surprised me the most was how how uncomfortable I felt that I was making money that wasn't being delivered. So I was like ringing people going, Hey, how are you going with the course? And they were like, <laughs> you're ringing me for, but I felt like they paid me. I have to serve them. Now. Oh, I'm exactly the same. And I was really, really uncomfortable with it. And it took me a while to figure out we're so used to getting paid for time and now we're getting paid for value. And yeah. that took me a, yeah, a long time. <laughs> like, yeah, a long time. Oh my God. I can relate to you because um, sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, you know, how's it going? How's this going? And I'm like, yeah, good. But I have this weird feeling because some people go through my program and they never talk to me. And then I see they have this awesome success or they might just share it success. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that's great. And it's weird because I'm like, oh, they don't actually need me <laughs> in real time. It's a weird thing because I, I feel like they've bought the thing and now I'm like, okay, tell me how you're going and do you have any questions? But not everyone needs that, do they? Because you've built the asset. Because we're so used to over-delivering and over-serving yes. and doing that. So I had to learn to pull back and just go, hang on, they've bought this product and yeah. okay, I can be all right with that. And I think the other big thing that shifted for me since I got into the online game was that I am the product. That's probably oh my gosh. the hardest part in going, I am the product and I need to market myself and mm -hmm. be okay with people liking me, not liking me, just all of the things in between. Like I'm not a massive social media user. Personally, I never touch it. And so that was a big thing for me in going, unfortunately, in, in this game, we play those who market well mm. win, despite what expertise or knowledge they have, which yeah. is a shame because I see so many people in our industry with so much to give, mm. but don't market themselves well. And then I see others that 
know very little and are giving people a complete bum steer, but are brilliant marketers. And so that realization was, was quite difficult to go, okay, where are my boundaries Mm going to be? How am I going to do that? How am I going to be comfortable in putting myself out there and not feeling like a narcissist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being the product? Absolutely. And I, I love how you actually said quite early on in your book, if you don't want to be putting yourself out there and showing up, then this probably isn't the business for you. Yeah. Like I hear a lot of a lot of people in our space saying, you know, anyone can own an online business. Anyone can create an online course. And I just don't think so. Yeah, anyone can create an online course, but to actually mm. be successful in it, mm. you have to be willing to do things very differently to what would normally be done. And if you're not, then you're going to constantly come up against these walls and go, why isn't it working for me? I mean, I talk mm-hmm. to people and they go, you know, I'm just not going to do Instagram or I'm not going to do any video or I'm not going to do any podcast. Mm. It's like, well, you're just not going to get the results. It's part of the game. So this made me think of this part, and this was one of your case studies with James Wedmore. And he said, 5% of the activities you do are directly responsible for 95% of the results that you want. The problem is that 5% is often far outside people's comfort zone. They can stay busy and distracted for a long, long time. And it's exactly like you're saying, there's these activities that are going to be very, very powerful but they can be scary and they can be uncomfortable and they can be new. So we just stay keeping busy doing all these other things that don't really ultimately make a whole lot of impact. Yeah. Yeah, completely. You know, often when I talk to people and they're like, you know, I'm not getting the results I want. And I can ask them, what do you think you could do that would make a big difference? Nine out of 10 people know exactly what they could do that will move the needle and get results. And it's like, well, why haven't you done that thing? And a whole lot of business success is figuring out how we ourselves can get ourselves to do the things that we actually want to do. But, you know, if we, if we coach ourselves, mm. we often know things that we can do that are going to move the needle, but we we resist them because they're brand new. Like you just ran the most beautiful, brilliant live event and I'm running a retreat this week. And that sort of stuff is scary. Like oh my God. Yes. a huge amount of financial outlay, mm-hmm. massive. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting yourself so out there going, is anyone oh going to tickets? Is, is this going to work? Like, is this? And then not to mention the nerves of stepping onto stage and holding space mm-hmm. for all the people and making sure everyone's feeling safe and comfortable and has a transformative experience like that's big thing it is and not everyone's willing to do that but it's it's what it takes you've got to do the big bold things I actually did a podcast episode about this because I'd wanted to do an event like that for ages and last year I'm like oh, well that's convenient I can't because of COVID and then this year happened and I'm like crap I actually don't have an excuse so I've really got to be look at myself and why aren't you doing this? But that was what I realized. The only thing was that fear was stopping me doing it. What were some of the things that you were telling yourself before you really stepped into showing up? What were some of those 
fears that you had, thoughts that you had, worries about perhaps other people that you had before you started showing up? I'm not evolved enough to not worry about other people. I'd like to think that I was, but I'm not. Every time I think I am, and then if I hear something negative, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, Mm. I still care. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for me, more than anything, my whole business journey, it's been about proving things to myself, not, Mm. not to other people, because I had quite a rough upbringing and you know, left home when I was 13 and always felt inadequate. And like, it doesn't take a psychologist to know that I got really highly driven in business to try and prove my worth. So that was a big thing. But then towards the end of my franchising journey, I got torn apart. Like franchising Mm. is really, really hard. And, you know, we had a couple of franchisees that were just horrible (laughs) and just so unhappy and took it all out on me, which is always going to happen. I didn't want it to happen, but I couldn't, couldn't help it. And so that is always with me, even like talking about the things that you tell yourself, this is the yeah. first retreat that I've ran since I had franchising. So when I wow. ran franchises, we had a big yearly conference every year and I ran them yeah. in six years. So used to it, but franchising conferences are different because yeah. people are coming and I would have one or two people that would yell at me, <laughs> rip oh shreds off me. And I walked into the conference room and I was like, like I was a little bit triggered. Yeah. And then I had to remind myself, hey, this isn't that. Like yeah. this is a very, you're not, no one's going to yell at you right now, Tina. <laughs> like you're mm. okay. And I think that, you know, when I started showing up more, I decided that I'd just come back when I started in online business. I'd just come back from a year around the world. So I was in this amazing headspace that I'd never mm. been in before where I was Family like, gap year. Yeah, it was just magical. And I really thought after that, that I was very purposeful in the life I wanted to create and the business that I wanted to create. And I know that, you know, people are going to judge us no matter what, whether Mm -hmm. we do well, whether we do poorly, whether we're out there, whether we're like, we're going to get judged no matter what. So I thought I may as well have some fun in doing it. And I was really clear about what I wanted to do and and what I stood for and why I wanted to do it. And Mm just keep reminding myself of that. And I knew that like when I was in franchising, I was still in my twenties. So, you know, I like in our twenties, we do know everything in our (laughs) twenties, but I, I was still trying to be who I thought I should be for a woman. There was still a lot in, you know, I would try and talk a certain way and try and not say different things that I thought wouldn't be appropriate. And I would wear certain clothes and do all the things that, you know, successful professional businesswoman would do and when I came back from the trip I was like you know what stuff it I just I'm not the traditional successful looking businesswoman and I'm okay with that because it attracts or polarizes your tribe and now the women that I get to work with they're such beautiful humans and Mm -hmm. everyone's so lovely and gets along so well and they're just in the right place and that's what I find when you really embrace who you are and don't hide any elements of that that it does make everything so much easier. It's so true. And I was just thinking as well, I was just flicking through here trying to find, because you mentioned around uh, one of your first podcast reviews. And do you want to share what, just a little summary of what the review was? I think I was, I was liking the first 10 episodes of it. Um, So it was, it was fairly new, but I was going already. And so I found it, Tina. So I'll, I'll read it. You popped in your book that soon after your first podcast launch, you received an email from a man who wanted to bring to your attention how often you giggled. Hi, Tina. 
Your new podcast sounds great and helpful, but I've noticed you giggle frequently during it. I don't know if you're nervous or always amused by something. I have no problem with people being happy, but as a listener, that giggling makes it hard to take you seriously. Hope this feedback is valuable. <laughs> and then you say, wow. It's so funny when you read it. But yes, it was very valuable. Like there's truth to it. Sometimes I giggle because I'm amused by myself and the things that I say. <laughs> and sometimes I giggle because I'm nervous or because I've said something that I'm a little uncomfortable with. And that's okay. Like 10 years ago, that would have devastated me. And I would have then yeah. tried to be very professional yes. and, and start reading from scripts and because I would have been so bothered by that. But then since I have so many people that go, I love listening to your podcast. It just makes me happy. So when you please someone, you're going to displease someone else. And that's all right. And the thing is, it's just going to make the right people attracted to you. And it's the same thing. Like when people get together at your events or at my events, you attract people that are similar and people that are kind of the similar values on the same page. And it's just great because you do that. Just we do that by being ourselves. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I'd love to ask you, we mentioned just before around focusing on the 5% of things that really work. What's these look like for you these days in your business? I know that you have a fantastic team member, Jared, that helps in the business. And I'm sure that allows you to now really focus on those areas that you do best. So what are those for you, Tina? Three now. So I've got Jara, my right-hand woman, and then we've got Laurie who does all the admin and Matt that does all the web stuff. So yeah, we're a mighty team of four, which is nice. And it was actually on the plane on the way up here, I was playing with my job matrix. So we've got like this massive spreadsheet that lists out every single task in the business and who does what in there. And I was actually going through it and going, all right, it's time for me to like rejig this and offload. So there's there's kind of been every, well, I try and do it every 90 days, but realistically it's probably every six months that I go in and go, okay, the things that I'm responsible for, I'm, yeah. I still having to do those because I'm actually a massive fan of DIYing at the start. Yes. I think at the beginning, too many people outsource everything and just spend so much money and then have no money left. Oh my gosh, Tina, I love in the book you mentioned around how it was, I think it was you, one of your case studies around, it was cheaper to hire a cleaner than to hire a graphic designer. So you're, yeah, it was you, yeah. So you hired a cleaner, learned to DIY your graphic design and all good. Yeah, because I mean, I hate cleaning and really love tinkering on graphics. (laughs) So I was like, this works well. But yeah, every kind of six months I look at it and go, all right, how's my energy? And usually it's when I start getting tired and go, Mm. okay, I'm I'm scrambling a bit here. And I see the team's all under control, but I'm the one that's going, I've still got like 25 things on my list. (laughs) And I'm going, hang on a minute. Why am I the one still? So then I can look at it all and go, all right, what can I then systemize and delegate Mm. to to someone else and it's been a learning process for me in letting go because I'm quite a control freak and I like things very specific in the way that I do them and I'm a very generous boss but I'm not when people make mistakes I just you know I'm like how how could this happen this is not acceptable like we (laughs) must have perfection all the time So it's hard for people with that. So I have to manage myself in the way that I deliver that. But now there's a lot of, a lot of our business that, that we can't outsource. So my Mm. responsibility is doing, like, I still do all the content. It's important to me to, I don't outsource social media. I, we create everything and then I'll write all the captions and then Laurie's will schedule that all for us. So 
I, I still lack it all to be in my voice and obviously can't outsource the podcast and the teaching and the coaching and, and all of that sort of thing. I do a lot of the reporting as well because I'm massive on key metrics and a lot of the preparation of reports are done for me, but I still spend yeah. a lot of time drilling through them. I watch hot jar recordings of our website wow. like because I like to... Well, it's important for me to know the back end. Absolutely. To help other people as well, but also... I can tinker with the right things. And I love the constant experiment of business. So now I do the parts I enjoy and I outsource pretty much everything else. Mm. This is uh, one of your success stories, Clint Salter. Yes. And he said, that's how I do everything now in our business. Everything is an experiment. It also allows you not to create too much attachment to the idea. And I, I love this too in approaching business or projects or new ideas it's just an experiment and see how it goes and it makes it more fun and it makes the whole thing like less pressure doesn't have to be perfect but we're just figuring it out and it's experiment and it's like a game that we get to play yeah because you don't actually know until we've done it like you know even i'll use empire builders my mastermind as an example so i was talking to someone the other day who said her plan was always to have a membership like mine but then got there and realized she didn't have flexibility and freedom anymore because it's a high input like yeah. it's every week I'm doing lives. I'm talking to people like it's actually high touch point. Mm. And so for her, she got there and then like changed the whole system, the whole way that she was doing it, the yeah. whole offer, just repackaged everything to give her a little bit more flexibility and time off mm. in between because just hated showing up at this time every week at this day, like just mm. not having that. Whereas for me, I really love the routine of it. Yeah. I love getting it. So a lot of it is, you know, when you get to a certain stage in going, is this working for me mm. and being okay with going, if it's not working, like at any point you can just change it. Yeah. And go, okay, this is no longer the best option for our business. So we're just going to reimagine it and then put out a new product. I certainly felt as though there was a way, the way to do business. And then you realize, and this is another from Clint Salter in your book. He says, when you give yourself the time to focus on the things you love, as the CEO uh, grows the business, the business gets better, bigger, right? And he says... Like, how can I create a role for myself that just fills me up and gives me a lot of joy? And this is what you're saying as well, is that when we can actually figure out the business that we enjoy, which we can't until we've actually experimented and tried things, then we figure out what works for us. But then we get to focus our days on doing the things that really we just feel so in flow with and bring us joy as well. But even like Clint's helped me so much with that because like one of the things that I struggled with a lot at the start was guilt around other people working if I wasn't. Mm. So I would talk to him. Clint's got this beautiful setup where he he lives in Miami in Florida and, you know, he's right by the beach and it's all very bougie. But he <laughs> works when he feels like it, doesn't work when he doesn't feel like it and kind of goes with the flow. So some days he will work his butt off and other days he just doesn't you know I was talking to him and going I always felt like if my team was in the office working Mm. I have to be in the office working because what if I'm like out at the beach and they're there working like they're gonna think what an asshole (laughs) I'm here doing all this work for her she's off gallivanting around like it took me a long time to realize that the similar with the time for money thing is Mm. that's not 
my role anymore. Like clocking hours is not my role. I need to perform with high energy, with creativity. Like people are coming to me to solve their problems. So for that, I need yeah. to have a clear mind. And so it's not going to happen 10 hours a day of working. I actually have mm. to take those brain breaks and, and be okay with that. But yeah, it's much easier said than done to just mm-hmm. do the things that bring you joy because <laughs> we're it like, is. but we have to do the work, <laughs> which we do at the start. But then I think as soon as you've got enough revenue, because this is, I'm really careful of saying that because I do think yeah. a lot of people get into business and go, I'm just going to do the things that bring me joy and outsource everything and then go broke really quickly because yeah. they spent too much money on staff. So for me, it was always, once I got my salary to 200,000, then I started allocating 20% of revenue to team. So that's how I have kind of grown is to go, all right, 20% of everything is going to team. So as our revenue grows, I'm going to continue to outsource more and keep it at that 20%. It might drop now that our revenue is getting a lot higher, but that was a really good guide for me in going, I won't over capitalize so that I'm shortchanging myself to pay other people. Tina, that is actually a really good point. Thank you for um, saying that because I think it also depends on the stage in business too. And I love that you actually said this in the book. This is what I was referring to earlier around, um, you said when I was starting the online business, it was cheaper for me to hire a cleaner than a graphic designer, but I couldn't yet afford to do both. So I got the cleaner. I learned some design skills for myself. You can do anything, but not everything. So choose what's going to best leverage your time to help you achieve your goals. And then you also said like many people advise outsourcing from the beginning, but the better advice is to do what you can actually afford. And if you're spending all your money on delegating to others, but you aren't making the revenue to cover it, then it's pointless. And you say like it is a fine line between overhiring and underhiring. So that is so true as well. Is that I see the same thing. People that they're running their business, but maybe they're still working in a job to kind of like fund the business but only because they've got all these contractors or people that they're outsourcing to to help with the business and I'm like well hang on a minute quit your job work in your business (laughs) those who say money doesn't buy happiness I think have never really been broke because it's it's Mm -hmm. stressful and I think if you're in business and you're you're like hiring too many things or spending too much money before you're making money you start to resent the business and you start to be too stressed and then you're not going to do good work and it's never going to get to where you're going so it's really and using the cleaning example like that's something for me that like I begrudge I'm like why am I doing this shit for oh my god and so like mental load wise I'll do anything in the business to lighten my mental load so I can perform better Mm -hmm. And so it's every time you get that money, rather than taking a traditional look in going, okay, do I need to hire like someone that fits this job description? Because in online business, like it's murky, job descriptions are out the window. So it's going, what like elements do I not want to do that are causing me that heavy weight? And then what can I get rid of one at a time as you grow? So true. One other thing that I highlighted that I absolutely loved was um, one of your other case studies. This was, uh, is it Casey Morris? Yeah, she's like the loveliest human in the world, I think. And she's built a business, the, the CEO teacher. So cool. And I loved her case study. And I also loved how she said, consistency beats the competition every single time. I'm not the smartest, I'm not the brightest, but I am consistent. And I think there's so much to be said for that too, in terms of it doesn't have to be like, everything doesn't have to be the absolute best, but if we just actually do it and get it out there and keep going, 
then we can build something pretty amazing. Has that been true for you? Oh, 100%. I mean, even look at your beautiful ranking for your podcast right now, mm. you know, top 10. Whoop, whoop. But a lot <laughs> of that has to do with the consistency and the effort that you've put in twice a week. Like that's mm. massive. And so many people start podcasts, like I'll use that example, yeah. and get, you know, five to 10 episodes in and go, oh my gosh, like that's, that's a big commitment. I'm, I'm not going to keep up with yeah. that or I can't keep up with that or it's just too much for me. But it's doing those things and making a plan with how you can do those things consistently because consistency mm-hmm. beats everything all the time. Someone even asked me the other day, um, like my financial advice, and I was like, oh my God, I've got the most... <laughs> boring financial (laughs) advice ever because I do think it's like consistency Mm -hmm. and letting time do its thing. Like it's taking a portion of your income, putting it into savings, putting it into shares, letting that grow, then buying property and then just letting it do its thing. (laughs) Like it's, but that's not sexy and it's not exciting. And, And I've always thought like a boring business is a profitable business. Like business is not rocket science. It's figuring out what your customer needs, serving them with in complete integrity and massive value again and again and again and again and doing what works day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Like a lot of people that have been successful, it's not like they just started six months ago. They've been yeah. doing this for years. It takes time and it takes time showing up when no one's watching. And I think a lot of people get into it and they get disheartened that they're not getting that traction, but it's this beautiful J curve. Like it takes ages. And when you, when you're in it, it feels like ages. When you look back on it, you're like, Oh, did pretty well there. But when you're in it, you're like, Oh my gosh, anyone going to ever buy my stuff? Like, is this (laughs) going to work? Do they like it even? Am I on the right? Hang on. I'll try and change the offer and I'll do this and I'll do that. And you end up with 50 million different things where if you just stuck with it consistently, you'll get there. It's so hard to hear that sometimes because it's like, but what's the secret? But t- like with your financial advice, it's like, okay, Tina, can you tell me like the secret to your financial advice? Or what's like the quick way to get there? Or what's the hack? No quick way. I mean, yeah, it's quick. I mean, I think like you can get to a million dollar online business in about two to three years if you do the right thing. So to me, that's crazy quick. Bloody quick. Yeah. Like it took me 11 years to get there with my service-based business, mm. like a long time. But a lot of people still like that's not quick enough. And so a lot of people that I work with, they'll have a launch and it'll get 5,000, 20,000, something like that, which I'm like, yes, that's amazing. Especially when you've just started and you've got no list, no nothing. I'm like happy dancing. And they're devoted, like Mm. devoted. And I go, if you knew now that this was going to be a million dollar business in three years, like how differently would you be treating it? right now like would you go that extra mile and show because a lot of the time when we know we could go the extra mile Mm. but we don't because we're like oh it's not worth it anyway and i'm just like like, and we we get in this really negative head spin but if you knew that success was a foregone conclusion and that in a few years you were going to be making a million dollars a year oh my gosh would you love and nurture that thing at the beginning Mm -hmm. yeah so that will get you there quicker it's a lot of self-belief and that's, I think all business is, is a mind game. Like it's really yeah. is just getting ourselves to perform on a different level and, and figuring out, cause every level you kind of, you get new mind games. 17 years I've been in business now. And like I said before, like this has brought up so many different things in going, Oh, Oh, this isn't good. And I've got to figure out how to get over that in order to get to the next level and the next level. And like, I remember my, my highest launch, we made just over half a million dollars and I bawled my eyes out the next day, not from happiness, Mm. but from like this massive crisis of confidence in going, Mm. Oh my gosh, 
have I gotten too big for my boots? Am I going to be able to deliver on this? Are they going to be able now is it too big and they're not going to get the results anymore because I can't do like massive things in going every level we get to, there's a different thing to overcome to be able to keep on going. And I think like talking to someone like James, who's over 10 million a year, I think he made Mm. 11 million last Mm. year. And that's, it's such a different mentality. Mm. What is a mindset or a thought that is a current one that you're kind of just noticing or grappling with? Yeah. So my, okay, I'll tell, I'll tell you the truth. Yes. A bit of a butterfly. I feel like a lot of the time when I meet people in person that I'm going to disappoint them because wow. yeah. I perform really well. Like I do podcasts and I do my lives and I do everything and I perform really well, but I'm actually very introverted. And so sometimes I'll meet people and I'll, I'll do a bit, but then I've got to, like, I, I leave, I'm the person that slips out the back door early. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, like me. I'm like, is it bad time now? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm here for a short time and a good time and a long time. <laughs> Cause I'm always very high energy, but I'm like, it, it comes and goes throughout the yeah. day. Yeah. I always worry that people are going to meet me in person and be disappointed that I don't somehow, even though like I show up just as I I am. Yeah. But that's what I was working with this week is going like, you're okay. <laughs> Don't just, and it's now, now that I've told you out loud, I haven't told anyone that out loud, but now I've told you that out loud to you and all your thousands of listeners. Oh yeah. I'm like, it sounds silly. But they always do, don't they? These things that like, honestly, the things we tell, I have the exact same thing. I was driving to my retreat. I'm like, oh crap, I guess I'm just going to have to be me. And that's just going to have to be good enough. <laughs> it's just is what it is. <laughs> It is. It's all we can do. And I think only you know what you do when no one's watching. Like you know who you are. And I think that that's really important is to be able to acknowledge you're there for the right reasons Mm -hmm. and you've got the best of intentions. And and that's really, you can't expect anything more than that. Yeah. And I think the fact too that, you know, we're all still learning. It's not like we're saying, I have all the answers. It's like, I'm just one person here that's figured some stuff out. I'm here to help. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Tina, thank you so much for joining me. I could just chat all day, but it's just been so great to chat. I'm so, just so impressed by you getting another book out. I loved your first book too, One Life, and you were mentioned a little bit earlier about some of your upbringing and also the challenges in the franchise business too. And I I loved reading about that in your first book, One Life. So we'll put the link to that with this podcast too. But the latest book, Million Dollar Micro Business. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy you've highlighted it. (laughs) So where can everyone get their hands on the book, Tina? So you can go to any bookstore, Booktopia, Amazon, or milliondollarmicrobusiness.com, which is where we have free digital resources to go with the book as well. Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Emily Osmond Show, brought to you by my Instagram freebies, which you'll find at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave me a review, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media, and tag me at Emily Osmond so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.